Welcome to the second annual Die Pod Spooktacular. <laughs> Last year, we told you the gruesome tale of Ed Gein, the Plainfield Ghoul, and it was shocking. <laughs> this year, we're going back to Wisconsin. No! First, we're taking on Gerald Turner, the Halloween killer. It was a crime so heinous that it changed trick-or-treating forever. <laughs> then, we're going to devour the case of Jeffrey Dahmer, the Milwaukee cannibal. He's considered the most notorious serial killer of all time. No! What's in the fridge? So buckle up, because it's going to be a terrifying ride. Los Angeles. 911, what is your emergency? We're in Hollywood now. Two counts of murder, injury, and death. Oh my God! Shocking new details that have stunned the entertainment world. Um, this makes me a little nervous. The hair stood up on my arms. Just like in the movies. What do we call this thing anyway? Death in entertainment. Hello, deados. <laughs> Hello, boys and ghouls. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, assholes? What's up, dickheads? This What's is up, dude? Kyle Plouffe here. This is Mark Mulcairn here. And I'm Alejandro Dowling. And this is the second annual Halloween Spooktacular. <laughs> and we got a jam-packed Midwest show for you. Yeah. Most serial killers in the country come from Wisconsin, correct? Correct. Astronauts are from Ohio because they want to get the fuck out of town. Oh. Okay. And then dirt bags are from Boston. <laughs> Massachusetts. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Because they want to stay in town. Yeah, exactly. The townies. We're not going nowhere. Yeah. This is our <laughs> fucking town, okay? We're not going to put in our rear view for no one. <laughs> <laughs> they don't kill anyone because if you move... Three streets down, you're dead to them anyway. Yeah, so. you're done. I don't like you anymore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also of note, we forgot to mention this last week. We are the number 51 most popular podcast, true crime podcast in Slovakia, everybody. <laughs> hey. Wow. That's somehow fitting for the month of October because isn't Slovakia like the site of the deadly hostel in those horror movies? Ooh, it actually One of be. those Eastern European countries yeah. is. It's close to Transylvania somewhere, yeah, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Dracula. It's another, it's another ER. Dracula spent his formative years there. <laughs> but we love the people because they love us, right, guys? Come yeah, on. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hey, hey, of yeah. course. Like I told you two, I was planning on moving to Italy because we were number 101 or something in Italy yeah. for yeah. a while. Now I'm going to Slovakia. Yeah. yeah. We'll You're... take anyone who likes us just a little bit, yeah. <laughs> even a little bit. You thought it was bad before. Here we come. We're coming. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so last year, in our first Halloween Spooktacular, we told the story of Ed Gein. Yeah, the Geener. Plainfield, Wisconsin. Yes. And I thought, let's go back to Wisconsin because Jeffrey Dahmer's huge right now. Let's do yeah. it. Our first story is the Halloween Killer. We're going to go back to Halloween 
1973. Are we talking about the movie or the the holiday? The holiday. Oh, okay. Never mind. October 31st, Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. This is where I grew up. First, I'd like to paint a picture. This is a mini pop culture flash. What's going on entertainment-wise in Fond du Lac this night? The Forest Mall Cinema was playing That Darn Cat and Walking Tall for the evening shows. Wow. Walking Tall, I saw the new one recently. I really liked it. Was that the one with The Rock or something? Yeah, I liked it. (laughs) (laughs) Then at midnight, there was a screening of Roger Corman's picture, The Mask of Red Death with Vincent Price. That's a spooky one. In my entire childhood and coming of age in Fond du Lac, they never once played a midnight movie. And they did cooler things in the 70s. Yeah. I had to go to Milwaukee to see a midnight movie. Because they, it might not be happening because of this story. You know who started the midnight movies? Who? John Waters. He started them in Baltimore, Maryland. He's, he went to a movie theater and he said, can I start playing movies here at midnight because you guys don't have anything else going on? Yeah. And he started that kind of craze. I think actually in the late 70s, maybe. Imagine a guy with that mustache walking in being like, hey, let me use your theater. (laughs) I'd I'd pull a gun on him. (laughs) Late night when no one's here. Yeah. (laughs) I got a movie where a drag queen eats shit. You want to see it? (laughs) You're going to love these people coming in here at midnight that are going to come see this movie. "Uh, Actually, we'd rather watch Eraserhead. (laughs) Something a little lighter. (laughs) I wonder how many went to before they actually said yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I want to add that I did a lot of research. So I went to the archives of the Fond du Lac Reporter wow. and opened up a ton of newspapers from this time. Wow. Yeah. Alejandro, you can't see it right now. He's got giant bags under his eyes because he's been studying the microfiche <laughs> like a psycho. <laughs> yeah. Red red lines on the walls connecting dots. <laughs> yeah. On the movie listings page, there's a bar called The Locker Room, and they were advertising a Halloween party with 35-cent mixers and free beer for people in costumes. Wow. That sounds like a good idea yeah. <laughs> for Wisconsinites. <laughs> 35 cents. Wow. What could go wrong? In my days, <laughs> you could go to a weird movie for 35 cents. <laughs> and then in the newspaper on October 31st, 1973, there was a write-up about a place called the Pumpkin Place. And the title of the article is Eerie Pumpkin Place is Where It's At Today. So this was a popular neighborhood party, and it was in its fifth year. The people in the neighborhood got so into it that they would assume roles. So the main people called themselves Mama Witch and Papa Spook. (laughs) This sounds cool. This sounds crazy. It's like a role-playing thing. Is this like an Eyes Wide Shut party or something? A quote from the article. (laughs) If you think Santa Claus's workshop is busy before Christmas, you should see the homes on Pumpkin Place a few days before Halloween. Witches bustle about scouring their cauldrons with lizards. Goblins scurry about carving pumpkins, etc. <laughs> then the article at the end says, There have been some frustrating events, though, through the years. Like the time <laughs> the mummy man couldn't sit down after being wrapped up. <laughs> what? And is this is news for fun? And the yes. time a pumpkin <laughs> shaped crazy. a pumpkin shaped balloon burst after reaching full inflation. Oh, it was crazy. What, wasn't Vietnam still going on? This is what they're writing about. <laughs> there's like a, a you know, there's like a genocide going on in yeah. Vietnam and they're talking about this in the Fond du Lac post or whatever. And then they said <laughs> twelve thousand viewers were expected that night. 
at the pumpkin place? Didn't even think there were 12,000 people in Fond du Lac at that time. No. Jeez. All right, so that's what's going on. It's yeah. a big thing in Fond du Lac, Halloween, 1973. Whatever uh, tickles your fancy, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever blows your hair back. So there's this nine-year-old girl. Stop laughing now. There's no more I'm laughing not- in the story. <laughs> there's a nine-year-old girl, Lisa Ann French. And she lived with her mom, Marianne Gehring, and her stepdad at 192 Amory Street, a duplex in a working class neighborhood of Fond du Lac. So this is kind of just like in the center of town. Her dad, Alan, lived in Oshkosh, which is about 20 minutes away. And he didn't get to see her that often because of long work hours. Of Oshkosh Pagosh thing. Yeah. It is, yeah. yeah. Is Pagosh next door to Oshkosh? <laughs> and, um, no, there's no Pagosh. Oh, okay. Denim town. I thought it was like a twin city. <laughs> <laughs> Jay Leno's like, hey, I love Oshkosh. <laughs> so there's also EAA in Oshkosh, the big airplane festival where John Travolta went every year. <laughs> of course. <laughs> it was big news. So Lisa M. French... She was a fourth grader at Chegwin Elementary School, which I did not go to. I went to Lakeshore. Ooh, rival. There's two schools in this town? Oh, no, there were more than that, yeah. (laughs) This is a bigger town than I thought. Waters, Chegwin, Lakeshore. Yeah. Who gives a shit? Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not us. No. (laughs) Lisa was outgoing, funny, and kind, always looking out for her fellow classmates. Good egg. Yes. This year, 1973, Halloween, Lisa wanted to be a butterfly, but her mom thought it would be too cold outside for that costume. So then Lisa instead dressed up as a hobo. <laughs> Not very politically correct She's in these canceled. times. Yeah, every kids used to always do that, dress up as a hobo. Because it's an easy thing to do, just wear like shitty clothes and like which every kid already has. Yeah. Yeah. She put masking tape on her jeans, had a floppy hat, wore a green parka. And dotted freckles on her face with like a marker. Just after sundown, around 6 p.m., Lisa finished eating dinner. Then she kissed her mom and her stepdad goodbye. She was planning on going to the pumpkin place with her friend. Her parents told her to be back by 7 (laughs) p.m. This is when parents would just like let their kids just roam the world. Get out. Get out of here. (laughs) They would never see her alive again. Oh, Jesus. No, I feel bad. So, yeah, she's going to the pumpkin place, which you guys know all about now. That large outdoor block party that was on nearby Bank Street. And the whole idea of this pumpkin place was to create a safe haven for kids. Because at that time, some urban legends of poisoned candy and razor blade filled apples had spread around the state. Yummy. (laughs) Unfortunately, Lisa's friend, whose name is Ann Parker, was grounded at the last minute and couldn't meet her. So I guess she started acting up and her parents Ooh. were like, you can't leave the house tonight. Yeah. But I want to have a razor blade Snickers, daddy. <laughs> we got them at home. <laughs> yeah, we got plenty at home. And, They're really uh, sharp. <laughs> and still harbors guilt to this day that she Oof. didn't go with her friend. Lisa ended up trick-or-treating all by herself, making three stops. The first was at her teacher's house. The second was at a fellow classmate's house. And the third was at her neighbor, Gerald Turner's place at 152 Rose Avenue, a half block from her house. She knew Gerald because he had actually once rented the other apartment in her duplex. Gerald lived there with his girlfriend, Arlene Penn, and their baby. 
So Lisa was a precocious girl, and she used to like to play with the baby and would often stop by just to chat with Gerald. That night, Arlene, the girlfriend, came home around 7 p.m. with her daughter, who she had from a previous relationship. A lot of baby mama drama, yeah, drama going on. Yeah, yeah. It's like the Carradine family or something. <laughs> <laughs> Mamas and the papas. Yeah. Um, they, hey, let's not go there. <laughs> and they had just been to the pumpkin place, Arlene this and big her daughter. Pumpkin party. It's the place to be. Yeah. Well, 13,000 people be. are going or whatever. When she got in, though, Gerald was sitting in the living room wearing a bathrobe. He told her he was feeling very sick. So Arlene then left to go to her mother's house. Now, over at Lisa's house, her parents were starting to worry. She hadn't come home. It was well past 7 p.m., and no one had heard from her. By 10 p.m., the community sprang into desperate action. PTA moms made calls, signs were posted in the windows, and the police began an all-night search. By the next day, over 5,000 people joined the rescue effort. Planes and helicopters from the National Guard flew over the city. Other volunteers rode horses through fields and woods, and police searched the rivers and the creeks. Mercury Marine, a big plant there, printed thousands of copies of Lisa's school photo, and gas stations even offered free gas to anybody that was helping in the effort. Wow. No one would do that today for anyone. In the 70s, too. That was, pro- was that around the gas shortage when it yeah. was like $5 yeah. a gallon? Maybe right before, but still. Yeah. yeah, right before with Iran. I think it was like we're a couple of years away, but, you know, yeah. shit's still tight, you know? Right. Two and a half days later, on November 3rd, 1973, at about 11.30 a.m., a farmer named Gerald Brown. Some publications, even Wikipedia, list his name as Gerald Braun. B-R-A-U-N. Braun. Yeah. But it's German. I knew the family to be the Brown family. Mm. And even in my research, you know, through the archives of the Fond du Lac Reporter, one day they're calling him Gerald Braun. A couple days later, they call him Gerald Brown. Ooh, like a little apt pupil over here? Yeah. Wait, are we saying this is like a, like a Nazi defector or something? I'm or? just confused. I can't really... Put your finger exactly why? I thought he was Gerald Brown, but if you go to Wikipedia and other sources, they'll say Gerald Braun. Braun. Wow. Is this... Like Ava Braun. Yeah. yeah. Uh-oh. I don't know what it all means. Maybe he gave a name because he didn't want to be associated with it or something. I don't know. Yeah, maybe he's uh, running because he was a part of the SS. Yeah. Or possibly it's just a coincidence. And I guess maybe the daughter could have been with the Brown last name from her marriage or something. Because mm. either way, they were referred to as the Browns yeah. to me. So maybe that went way back to like, you know, the, the 40s and stuff from, you know, there was a very big anti-German, obviously, mm. you know, sentiment around the yeah. Midwest, especially. And I'm, maybe they just called themselves the Browns during the, you know, the World War Two. So he called the editor then after the first story, like, yeah, actually, it's Brown. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's still afraid of those, uh, you know. From Hitler. Those sentiments, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hitler's ghost. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, Farmer Brown, we'll call him, okay? Sure. He is on his tractor going alongside the road. His property is farmland. As he's driving by. On the tractor. He sees a garbage bag by the side of the road, side of the field there. He goes and inspects. It's Lisa French. And then there's another nearby garbage bag that had her clothes in it. And this is about four miles outside the city. 
So it was big news, you know, search is off, they found the body, now they have to find the killer, and there's mm. a manhunt on. Fuck. Do they have any leads at this point, or just, just whatever's Possibly. in the bags? Okay. In the meantime, her funeral was held on November 6th, 1973. A $10,000 reward was offered by the Chamber of Commerce for information regarding the killer. They suspected this Gerald Turner guy, her neighbor. Mm. The guy with the baby's mama. Yes. Yeah. But they did not arrest him until nine months later. I don't know why it took that long. He had to have another kid. They eventually, <laughs> they matched. Give me nine more months. I got I got a bun in the oven. <laughs> Hair samples found on Lisa's body matched his DNA. Hmm. And he was given a polygraph test, came out inconclusive. But finally, he confessed to the murder on August 8th, 1974. So this Turner guy... He's a 25-year-old railroad machinist, divorced, had two young kids. And here's what happened Halloween night, 1973. Lisa Ann French knocked on his door, and he invited her in. They sat around in the living room, and I guess they talked about candy or something. And then he forced her into the bedroom where he molested her. Oh, my God. And then he noticed that she wasn't breathing all of a sudden. She was dead. Jesus. And people believe this story? Well, what else are you going to believe? I guess so. So the girlfriend came home, and he was like, oh, shit. This is, you know, when she came from the pumpkin place and then was about to leave again. Mm. If she had gone into the bedroom at this time, she would have seen the body of Lisa Ann French. But she left. And so then he put socks over his hands, got the garbage bags, and went to dispose of the body. Mm. Why did he put the clothes in a different bag, I wonder? That's, that's interesting. He's organized. Jeez. No, I don't know. Who knows? He's a psycho. Yeah, that's true. We there's can say no, one thing about him. There's no rhyme or reason. Very organized. <laughs> yeah, he's very organized. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's insane God. to separate the clothes like that. Like, what is he trying <sighs> to do there? A pathologist testified in court that Lisa most likely died of shock during the assault. Gerald Turner later rescinded his confession during the trial and claimed to be innocent. What? Pulling a, the fat clown, a Gacy kind Gacy, of thing. Yeah. yeah. Where it's absurd to say you didn't do it, you know? Like, for what reason? Just to. You say you're a, coerced. Right. That's yeah. what he claimed. It was just he's so like, much pressure. So he finally signed the confession. That he's kind blaming, of thing. like, the process and how, yeah. the, how he was approached about, you know. Exactly. All this shit. Turner was found guilty of second-degree murder and acts of sexual perversion. Oh, my God. Not even first-degree, because it was a heat-of-the-moment kind of thing. He yeah. didn't mean to kill her. But Lisa Ann's mom is like, no, it should have been first-degree murder, because this sets into motion a whole host of complications that are still going on to this day. Heat-of-the-moment. It seemed very intentional what he did. Well, clearly, yeah. Yeah. Because he said that, I mean, this is disgusting. When she answered the door, it just came over him. God. Scumbag. So his sentence was set at 38 years and six months. He was paroled for good behavior in 1992. Oh, my God. And went to live in a halfway house in North Milwaukee. Unreal. Too bad Dahmer wasn't still on the streets then. Yeah. Shit. Turner was back in prison, though, by 1993 after a public outcry. And there's something that became known as Turner's Law, named after him which sees that violent sex offenders be put in a treatment center once they're up for parole. Mm. Despite that, however, Turner was released again in 1998 oh and then God. moved to Madison. 
Oh, that's the worst place for a scumbag like that, because that's the college town. Good thing Farley wasn't alive to see that. Yeah. Shit. So people that are evil, they never cease to amaze you. This Turner guy sued Waste Management in 1999 after they refused to hire him because of his criminal record. Apparently, it's illegal to not hire somebody based on a conviction in the state of Wisconsin. Is that real? Wow. I I can't make this up. (laughs) Sorry, we don't want child murderers working here. Yeah. How dare you? I'm going to sue your ass. (laughs) The ball's on this guy. I'll see you in court. (laughs) What a fucking asshole. How fast can you type? And have you ever murdered a little girl? Yeah. I thought you were going to say he was suing waste management for not making the trash pickup, and that's why he got caught. <laughs> <laughs> well, he does have a long-standing gripe with them, I think. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, uh, um, I'm great at Excel. Um, you know, Microsoft Office, I'm pretty good at. Uh, I killed a kid, and I can, uh, <laughs> I'm can. i available ASAP. Wait, what was that? <laughs> yeah. Schedule's say, open. Oh, off Excel. 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 <laughs> yeah. oh, schedule's open. I can start tomorrow. Microsoft Excel in office. Great, because yeah. that's what you'll be using. You're hired. In 2003, Turner was sent back to prison after hundreds of pornographic images were found on his computer. How has no one put a bullet in his head yet? This is Wisconsin. Yeah. There's a lot of guns. Right. I wish one just like rogue fucking cop would just be like, you know what? I'm going to take this guy out. Anyone with nothing to lose, like, just fucking do it. Yeah. What are you waiting for? (laughs) Yeah. We're talking to you, guy with nothing to lose. (laughs) I'm sure we have a lot. Push him out there with a shotgun. Yeah. We have a lot of our listeners got nothing to lose. <laughs> Push him out there. Slam the door, look out the window. <laughs> yeah. That that's our job at in Craigslist. Looking for a guy with nothing to lose. <laughs> Must be good with guns. <laughs> and Excel, actually. Start right away. It all goes back to Excel. Excel. <laughs> so Lisa French's mom, Marianne Garing was pregnant shortly after this tragedy. And in fact, her brother was born in the craziness of Gerald Turner being arrested in 1974. Yeah. Marianne had one more child, another daughter. She grew up in the shadow of this tragedy. And I have a clip. I have another daughter and a son. And uh, they... I protected them. I moved them. Anytime I thought there was a threat or something, you know, I just moved. We were not allowed to go trick-or-treating. <laughs> we were not allowed to celebrate Halloween. And when we were kids, it was really hard because we didn't understand. You know, we're like, well, how come all our friends get to do it, you know? And when you're a little kid, you know, it's, it's hard to understand. All I was told was that... Um, I mean, I knew that she was in a garbage bag and they threw, he threw her in the ditch. So every time I would see a garbage bag on the side of the road, I would think, oh my gosh, my sister's in there. Or Oof. is there somebody God. in that bag? You know, it was kind of traumatic. Yeah, to say the least. Uh, well, this, this story, and I'm, I'm sure it's some more like it, is what has scared the shit out of kids 
I mean, uh, parents on Halloween and like very reluctant to like send their kids out. My parents actually <laughs> would be fine. They sent me to go wherever the hell you want, and I, I come back <laughs> days like, later. Like here's a knife. <laughs> yeah, stab someone if they attack yeah. you. I, I came back days later. No search parties went out. <laughs> I'll tell you that much. Like, get out of here, kid, with nothing to lose. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing back so soon? <laughs> that was three weeks ago. And the psychology of this poor family, like a random day. Hey, honey, can you take out the, um, geez, uh, yeah, yeah. never mind. The recycling, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so there were longstanding repercussions. Pumpkin Place was canceled the next year in 1974. Wow. And in a letter to the editor, which I dug up in my research, in 1974, during the Halloween season, a Fond du Lac man wrote, the decision to let sunlight assume the moon's role on Halloween is an overreaction to last year's tragedy. Can you translate that? What he <laughs> went on to say that we still want to celebrate Halloween with our kids and we shouldn't cancel it because of the tragedy. Because of one bad razor apple. And then he said, and closing pumpkin place, that's the real tragedy. So get this. I went through the whole week. Oh, boy. And I found a retort to that from another resident saying, oh, shit. shut up about the real tragedy. This is like the original Twitter battle. Yeah. <laughs> like, he doesn't speak for me, you know, oh, that wow. kind of thing. Well, we got two sides of that uh, argument, but it was still canceled. Yeah. The event returned in 1975 with about 8,000 in attendance. Still pretty good. Yeah, a little lower than the other one, but still good. By 1977, it was moved to the old Wisconsin Army National Guard Armory. Some this building. is like the Woodstock 99. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> At the airbase. <laughs> Attendance had dwindled to 4,000. Wow. And eventually the pumpkin place fizzled out. I think that's a lot of the stuff in America. You know, you just can't have too much of a fun big time because there's too many insane people in this yeah. country. <laughs> Bad Apple. Bad Apple, yeah. Bad Razor Blade Apple. Bad no. Razor Blade Apple. Yeah, that should be the title of this podcast. And from then on, <laughs> now I'm curious to hear how it was done in your areas, but in Fond du Lac, trick-or-treating was during the daylight hours only. Cut off around 5.30 p.m., and it was only on the weekend before Halloween. Really? Oh, it was nighttime for All us. All nighttime, oh, yeah. I never Whatever knew, day it was on. Never knew trick-or-treating at night. Wow. Oh, wow, yeah. O only at night. But and my, my that... dad would follow us around, though. Well, at, at what yeah. age? Up until you're, like, 20? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Still to this day. <laughs> Two weeks ago, yeah. Um, no, it was probably till we were, like, 13 or 14. But, okay. Well, that's but, a little late to follow you at 13. Yeah, I mean, that's probably when he shut it down. I don't know. I can't really remember. but Because yeah, at by 13, that time, weren't you already like hooligans? By that time, yeah, we were like the scumbags <laughs> that would <laughs> see the bowl full of candy. And there was a note that would say, please take one. And we'd dump the bowl into our... Yeah, and then set the house on fire. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's what we would do. We would like fuck shit up. We do... Uh, no one knows about this, but Cabbage Night. Is a night before Halloween in uh, Massachusetts area. Maybe not where Kyle lives. No. That's the night where you just go around and just and fuck up all, everyone's houses. And you break <laughs> all the pumpkins. Why? And you, like, and you like spray paint people's houses why and stuff. Why cabbage? I don't know why. That's interesting. I, I, I don't know why exactly it was called cabbage, but no one else <laughs> knows about this. This is only in Framingham, Massachusetts. Yeah. And, and also yeah, this Natick, the next town over where I lived also. But this is where just... Kids would just like fuck shit up, wow. you know? 
break yeah. windows, Young uh, scumbags, <laughs> take prisoners. Yeah, I thought Weymouth, Massachusetts was bad. No, no, no. <laughs> well, Wisconsin, Wisconsin was traumatized. So yeah, yeah, it was they pretty were, uh, low key. They had some bad things happen there, and we had the Salem witch trials in Massachusetts. <laughs> was that like 1975? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, in, the, in that ballpark. Yeah. Gerald Turner's mandatory release date was reset to February 1st, 2018. Lisa's mom then created an online petition to keep him locked up, and it garnered over 30,000 signatures. A judge ruled that he should not be released due to his ongoing threat to society. And there's a law known as Chapter 980 that allows convicted sex offenders to be declared sexually violent persons and therefore subjected to indefinite confinement and treatment. Turner remains incarcerated to this day at Sand Ridge Secure Treatment Center in Mauston, Wisconsin. And you would think, okay, it ends there, right? Not exactly. Play clip number two. Oh, boy. This is a news segment from recently. How old is this fucking guy? In 2018, when Turner was up for mandatory release, Marianne Gearing worked with then-Attorney General Brad Schimmel and Fond du Lac County District Attorney Eric Tony to file a 980 petition which would declare Turner a sexually violent person and Kyle. keep him aware of the state for life. Okay, here's the twist, Mark. Yeah. Do you see here. this footage here? I do. This is where they found the body. That kind of rural-looking yeah. road there, yeah. That's my house. Oh, my God. That's my childhood house. The thing is, it wasn't built yet. It was built a couple years after that by the Brown family. Oh, my God. So they, they found the body, basically, where you grew up. That, Not a, that a possible Nazi built. A Nazi built. Yeah, Braun. Braun's <laughs> uh, great-grandson. Exactly in our yard. I'd like to say I think it's more in the neighbor's field. This nope. looks like a rural area, too. So no bad energy by my place. <laughs> yeah. And the Browns eventually moved to Florida. And then a guy who worked at that Mercury Marine plant, you know, that helped out with the posters and the search. Yeah. He bought the place after that from the Browns. Then when he moved, Mercury Marine paid for his realtor. And that's the realtor that sold it to my parents wow. in 1985. Wow. That's where I grew up. Did you know if there's something like a murder or something like in the area of a house that you're selling, the realtors have to disclose that? Yes. And I asked my dad about that. I'm like, did they disclose that? And he didn't remember exactly, but he's pretty sure the realtor mentioned it. But <laughs> definitely the neighbor up the road mentioned it to him before he yeah. moved in. And he said it really didn't make a difference because, you know, it was so long ago yeah, it was 12 years before you guys moved in. Yeah, the house hadn't even been built yet. It's not like you, you go into the house and there's like chalk outlines of the entire family no, and the no. cats and stuff, you know? <laughs> and that's not where she was murdered either. Yeah, it's where it was dumped. Yeah. It's still, uh, it's some it's, bad juju though. She was murdered four miles away from you, where you live. Exactly. There really wasn't though. I never noticed any bad juju growing up. It was like, you know, we've had lots of good parties there. Everybody loves yeah. my house. You There's never saw like, like the ghost of a nine year old no, hobo? Never. Yeah. <laughs> There's not never. like weird travelers like, oh, I got a story for you. <laughs> no. Hitchhiking from your dining <laughs> yeah, table. Yeah. <laughs> no, With nothing like stick, that. Sticking bindles. It was like a spook story or a tale growing up. And when I heard that she died on McCabe Road, it's called, that's my road, 
I imagine it was like way down on the other end or something. But then during the pandemic, I don't ask. I was cutting a bunch of trees down for my dad. Chopping wood. Dead of winter. And the neighbor came over from up the hill whose lot she was actually found on, if you ask me. He's shooting the shit with me and my brother. And then he just looks over to the corner of the field and start of our yard. And he's like, oh, I can't believe it. That's the spot where that girl was found. And I was like, really? Right there? <laughs> wow. I didn't realize it was right there. Wait, is that Mr. Braun saying this? No, this is somebody else. The Browns moved to Florida. They sold the house to some other guy, and then my family bought it from that guy. Oh, okay. I think they went to Argentina. This is a, <laughs> the boys from Brazil. Yeah. Was, <laughs> this is a neighbor who lives just up the hill, and that house didn't even exist when my parents moved in, even. Okay. And the whole area actually has grown Revamped so much. And stuff yeah. and been developed. and Yeah. So that's my connection to it. You can continue with the news clip. All right. There is still no decision on the 980 petition, and Gary not only continues to live in grief over the loss of her daughter, but also fear the man who killed Lisa French could someday be free. There's no My way My whole that... family has been affected by this man that needs to be put away. And my daughter Annie's 46, and she still has nightmares about him. That was obviously Lisa's mom. Wow. Just the fact that that possibility exists that he could someday be released. And do, do you think, has he sent or said anything threatening to that family at all? Is he is he very tight-lipped? Is he just like, I just want to get out. I'm a reformed, you know, murderer. Not even crazy. that. From what I've heard, he's not even remorseful. He's not even, he didn't even say he did it because he. He's a piece of shit that deserves to die. Well, it's yeah. so weird because pedophiles and women killers get murdered in jail all the time. Mm-hmm. And the fact that he's both and hasn't been touched is like, what the, who's he locked up with? Yeah. What's exactly. going on? Send them to fucking Rikers or something. Yeah. Okay, well, that is the Halloween killer. Wow, that's, and a, that's a sad one. I know. Uh, R.I.P. Lisa Ann French. R.I.P. Yes. Horrible tragedy, and it really changed the mood in Wisconsin for a long time. Yeah. Changed the mood, killed the pumpkin place. R.I.P. Pumpkin place. <laughs> started yeah. new laws, so yeah. yeah it's a... It ruined trick-or-treating in the state of Wisconsin. We still had a good time at 1 p.m. It was just, you know, a little fear. Yeah, I feel bad. You've never been trick-or-treating at night. No. It was so fun. So part of my- Let's go this year. (laughs) Around North Hollywood, you thought Wisconsin was scary. (laughs) That was part of my fascination with some of those horror movies like Halloween or something. You're like, where are the parents? Yeah, I'm like, it's dark out when they're trick-or-treating. Yeah. How's that work? It was more fun without parents. We could just go run wild in the streets. And now that we're warmed up and disturbed, let's go straight to July 22nd, 1991. Wah! I can't do that anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you said disturbed, so I want to do that. (laughs) All right, kids, who wants to help me out with the pop culture flash? Oh, I'd love to. Let's get right into it. Uh, music number one song at this time, July twenty second, nineteen ninety one, is "Unbelievable" by EMF. You're unbelievable. Oh, oh that's the dice. Yeah. <laughs> no, it is. They they use the dice clip. That really Are you is. Serious? No, that is dice. No, no, what? it really is. Bring it up. No shit. Shut yeah. up. No, they really use that clip of dice saying. Oh! I didn't know there was an actual sample. I wonder if they actually had to pay him for that too, because it's a hundred percent him. 
Holy fucking shit, it really is. That changes the song for me in a good way. Yeah. <laughs> this is Andrew Dice Clay talking about this. I remember the day EMF called my office and said they wrote a song about me. Unbelievable. And they wanted permission to sample me, which I gave them. And I'm glad I did. Great song. Thank you, guys. It's on my isolation workout list. <laughs> what? <laughs> and it's just that's right. him working out. He so couldn't have said just workout <laughs> list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And EMF. Hi, this is EMF here. The whole band called. <laughs> okay. Oh. Oh. That's so funny. I yeah. never knew that. Ace-hole. Ace-hole. <laughs> um, Unbelievable, this fucking guy. Other songs on the charts at this time. Uh, Peace of My Heart by Tara Kemp. Um, don't, don't know that one. It. Yep. Things that make you go, hmm, by CNC Music Factory. This nice. is an important one to me because one of the members is from Framingham, Massachusetts. Ah. Framingham. Framingham. Okay. <laughs> yeah. What, there's like very few famous people from Framingham. <laughs> and we like the guy who plays the spoon from CNC Music Factory <laughs> is from Framingham. That's all we got. Losing My Religion uh, by, by R.E.M. Great one. Um, Monster by Fred Schneider. From the B-52s. From the B-52s, yeah, which is, uh, it's weird because R.E.M. had an album called Monster, but anyway. True. Yeah. Um, you Can't Play With My Yo-Yo by Yo-Yo featuring Ice Cube. Remember that song? Can't Play With My Yo-Yo. I think Yo. so. I remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to say yes. Yeah, say yes. I remember that song. But um, anyway, Kyle, what's the movie situation? Wait, Wait. a second. Oh, hold the phone. <laughs> Whoa. Stop the presses. Why don't you look at the titles of all those songs and think about it in context of the Jeffrey Dahmer case? Okay. Ooh. Things that make you go, hmm, mm, that's a weird guy mm. eating people. <laughs> 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 Losing my religion. I guess he was a religious guy who uh, went lost crazy. Lost his way. Lost his way. Uh, monster. I guess you could call him Monster, you could, of course. Yeah. Um, you can't play with his yo-yo. <laughs> oh, because it's like his dick, right? You guys are quick. I went through the entire chart of a hundred songs and handpicked the ones that sounded Jeffrey Dahmer related. <laughs> well, certainly, piece of my heart does because yeah. he did it with a not you know, a piece of his heart, a knife and fork. <laughs> yeah, piece he, of someone else. He liked heart. it medium rare. You know? Hello. All right, that bombed. Kyle, can you help us with oh, the movies? Oh. oh, number three in the box office this year. July 22nd, 1991, 101 Dalmatians, the re-release. I remember this, going to see it in the movie theaters. In 91? Yes. And my Aunt Carol, this is the reason I remember it, is because she took me, and it was a packed theater, and we were late, and we walked in, had to go all the way down the aisle, up through the front, and then back up the other aisle, because there wasn't a door on the other side. And as we were right underneath the screen, my Aunt Carol fucking slipped, fell, and just landed on her back in front of everyone, and everyone started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> Did they help her up? No. Are you laughing too? Yeah, you, you sat. Uh, I was dying. You sat down with, uh, with the rest of the people laughing. <laughs> I'm with them. <laughs> you pushed her. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was a fun time. Kids are cool. And yeah. you enjoyed the movie, I'm it was sure. a, Yeah, it was great. Not as good as my Aunt Carol Fallen, but uh, oh boy, pretty right. good. Uh, number two, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey. Yes. New this week. Yeah. George Carlin. Hell yeah. Keanu came back yep. and, uh, and Alex Winter. And what's his name playing Death? Oh, uh, who was that guy that playing dude. Death? Who was it? William Sadler. That's him. Oh, okay. He was in Die Hard 2, Shawshank Redemption, Hard to Kill with Steven Seagal. <laughs> <laughs> so some great ones. Yeah. And number one. Third week at number one, Terminator 2. Amazing. 
I'll be back. I'll be I back. am back. <laughs> we were talking about Edward Furlong before. He's uh, yeah. He had a lot of promise as a young star, and uh, <laughs> it, it lasted that summer. Yeah, yeah. Well, he had a couple of years where people were like, is he going to do anything else? And he never yeah. did. Then Brad Renfro swooped in and took yeah. all his roles. Yeah. Well, future episode. Fun fact: I was actually named after uh, the first Terminator movie. Kyle Reese. Yes. Oh, really? That's the reason. Yeah, my dad was such a podhead. His favorite movie was Terminator, and he's like, Kyle. (laughs) (laughs) Kyle. Kyle. (laughs) See, it's like a way more badass name now. Yeah. It is, actually. Than Kyle. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Have you met my friend Kyle? (laughs) Uh, Why not T-1000? Yeah, seriously. Yeah, you should have been that. The horror movie Body Parts opened on August 2nd, 1991, The plot being, after losing his arm in a car accident, a criminal psychologist has replaced it with the limb that belonged to a serial killer. I remember this. The arm that made him go crazy. Mm -hmm. I like this movie. IMDb trivia. Advertisements for the movie were canceled in Wisconsin due to the Dahmer killings. A billboard was taken down in Milwaukee. (laughs) So the movie is opening as the Dahmer case is at the top of the headlines. That's when you got to take advantage. A movie called Body Parts. Yeah, now the studio would lean into that. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) They double the fucking billboard. Yeah, they throw fake arms and legs (laughs) on the street. (laughs) (laughs) Just dumping them out of planes and stuff in the the state of Wisconsin. (laughs) Missed opportunity. It's like like Operation Dumbo Drop, but it's all... (laughs) Limbs and stuff there. (laughs) And promos for the fucking shitty movie. (laughs) Jeffrey Dahmer, born in 1960 in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I don't want people to get the wrong idea about my home state. Yeah. We're just normal folk. Good, clean living. Everything else says otherwise. (laughs) (laughs) The data does not support that. (laughs) Dahmer's family, though, moved to Ohio when he was six years old. Oh, so he's got a he's got a touch of those two horrible places. I'm just kidding. I, I like uh Wisconsin. Isn't not uh, Ohio though. <laughs> yeah, we made fun of Ohio once and Samantha was like, I'm from there and I agree with everything you said. Yeah. <laughs> I, it, it's shocking how on board people are with the Ohio hate that are from there. Yeah. Dahmer's dad Lionel was a scientist and his mom was a stay at home mom. Really? Usually those people turn out pretty good that had stay-at-home moms. Her name is Joyce. She had a rough pregnancy with epileptic seizures. She took barbiturates and morphine, according to Lionel. That's good. But Joyce later said, that never happened. Lionel made it up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Well, who, were, who's prescribing that? You know how they were back in the day. Yeah, they'd give you anything. They'd give you a lobotomy if you had a headache. Yeah, just shut the fuck up. And <laughs> Joyce and Lionel would fight round the clock. Yeah. That was a household of fighting. It's not a great environment, environment to yeah. grow up in. So this is what Jeffrey's dealing with. Lionel recalls that Dahmer was fascinated with bones at an early age. Oh, boy. What are you doing with them bones? (laughs) You going to fish those bones? (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> the one, the ones in my arm. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> gotta cut it off first. Yeah. So you pull the bones out from under the house, and your wife at the time and Jeffrey Dahmer, four years old, Barbara they're Winford. standing out, and and he started to go through the pail of bones. He was just four years old, right? Correct. We were just discussing my former wife and I what what I was doing, and I looked down and I saw Jeff. Uh, uh, playing with the bones. Picking up the bones and dropping them back into the pail. Hope was trying to make it more and coherent. Playing with the that bones. That was really the only time that I saw Did any... he seem fascinated? He didn't really seem overly fascinated. Just sort of Leading. amused that they sort of Leading the witness. down and clanked and, you know, made a, cl- a clinging, clanking noise. He called them fiddlesticks. And he said, it's well, sort of like <laughs> fiddlesticks, you know, these old The uh, prosecutor here. Creates and, a xylophone uh, with a rib cage. <laughs> I wouldn't say overly uh, fascinated, fascinated, or ta- taken with it, but uh, yeah. But in retrospect, looking back now, did he it was a little fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> so he was juggling the bones. He said, <laughs> "Was he a bone juggler?" You called. He was shoving them bones up his ass. It was yeah. totally fine. It was like normal kid stuff. Yeah, you know, you know, he wasn't, you know, very enthusiastic. But yeah, he was having fun with the bones. And Oprah is so excited because she's like, <laughs> "And your son Jeffrey." Dahmer. Yeah. <laughs> As in, you know, the Netflix show that'll come up in 20 years. Uh, yeah, that one. Jeffrey was not an only child. He had a younger brother named David. And David, I believe, would be 55 years old now. He's still alive. And there's no public record of his new identity. He's under a, an assumed name. Yeah. Wouldn't you be? Of yeah, course. I guess. Yeah. Jesus. Yeah, I wonder if he had to play with his his brother's bones. <laughs> the same set of bones that, that that Jeffrey had. I don't think he was as into bones. <laughs> yeah. He had like G.I. Joe action figures, stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, more normal stuff. In the eye of the beholder, right? Sure. You say potato, I say potato. In the eye of the bone holder. Nice. <laughs> In the eye of the bone collector. <laughs> you know that Denzel Washington, Horrible Jolie Denzel flick. Washington. <laughs> you say femur, I say tibia. <laughs> Some reports say that Jeffrey was possibly molested by an older neighborhood boy at this time. Wait, who were these people saying this, though? Just people trying to figure him out. Okay, just trying to get an idea of what went wrong. Jeffrey has never said this. (laughs) To this day. He never claimed. (laughs) He's still very uh, closed-mouthed on the the possibility of that. (laughs) It's hard to talk when your skull is smashed in. Yeah, yeah. Um, no one gave me a bone. <laughs> Throw me a bone. <laughs> Throw me a freaking bone here. <laughs> that was a pail. <laughs> hey, kid, I got some bones in my van. <laughs> I got one in my pants, too, if you know what I mean. Say no more. <laughs> I'm in. You had me at bones. <laughs> Ed Gein is like, hey, Jeffrey, you want to go cut up a big fat woman and steal her tits? <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey's like, uh, no thanks. You want to go cut someone's penis off? And Gene's like, oh, you're sick. <laughs> they don't get along. Yeah. All right. So in ninth grade, there's conflicting reports of how unpopular or popular he actually was in grade school. They also say that he did have some friends and that he would make them laugh in class, that he was kind of a weird class clown. And he would imitate having cerebral palsy to get laughs. Hilarious. Yeah, big knee slapper. He's really punching up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's a good bit, though. (laughs) Yeah. 
he moved from bones to actual dead animals. Oh my god! That, you know, weren't just bones. Yeah, he graduated to dead animals. Yeah, because in ninth grade they had to dissect a fetal pig in class, and he asked the teacher, "May I take one of the pigs home?" Oh man! And the teacher said, "I guess no one's ever asked me that before in thirty years of teaching." <laughs> And in the popular Netflix series that's going on right now, mm -hmm. with the brilliant name Dahmer Monster, the Jeffrey Dahmer story. Or Can't something play with like my yo-yo story. <laughs> it's a ridiculous name. But they dramatize this moment where he's kind of on the outskirts of cool. Like he's made a couple of his classmates laugh sometimes. And so they're kind of like, <laughs> Dahmer. So he decides to take it a step further. So he goes up to one of the popular kids and says, hey, the teacher's letting me take this fetal pig home. You want to come dissect it with me after school? Yeah. And the guy looks at him like, uh, no. Yeah, he's like, <laughs> fuck no. Yeah. I, I hate school here. Why would I bring it home and do it with you, you fucking weirdo? I'm going to go finger chicks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm getting broad. Oh, oh unbelievable. unbelievable. <laughs> Dahmer's like, well, I'm going to go finger feed a pig. You're lost. Lionel says that he was introverted, but Dahmer then, they were sitting next to each other in the Stone Phillips interview in the 90s. And Dahmer's like, I disagree with that. I actually was not introverted at all. I had friends. According to Dahmer, I guess he was not. He doesn't have any self-realization. He doesn't notice that people are scared of him. He turns them off. He thinks they're loving what he's doing and what he's all about. But he's also, you know, he has some sort of charm because he's been able to get victims back after they've escaped his grasp. Later on. Yeah. He's making them laugh, albeit nervous laughter probably, but yeah. he's making the kids laugh. Okay. There was a seed of a personable... A little bit of a charm in person there, there. Yeah. A, uh, inside the monster. In his 179-page confession to police, Dahmer described his early life as very tense. As I already mentioned, the parents are constantly fighting. Later, they discovered the mom had postpartum depression. She's all over the place yeah. and kind of resents Jeffrey. When he was 18... His parents finally divorced, and he was left to fend for himself in the house. So he was left all by himself. And this house was in Bath Township, Ohio. And this is when he started drinking heavily. Yeah. How old was he? This is at the end of high school. Senior year of high school, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, fend for himself, but like, you know. You could take care of yourself well, at that yeah. age. Yeah. He always wanted like his mom's approval. He was like a little bit of a mama's boy, even though she was very standoffish to him. Yeah. And he had the little brother. And in the series, the mom's taken off. She's like, get in the car to the younger brother. And he's like, where are we going? She's like, you're not coming with us. It's like, you stay here. And oh, the mom wow. took the, takes the little brother and fucks off. And the dad is already off cheating with some other broad. Not exactly cheating. They were divorced. Right, right, right. And he's living in a broad. He's living in like a motel. Yeah. Okay. So is, does the mom the, consider Jeff like a lost cause? Like he plays with bones. I don't want to fuck with this kid. He's, he's fucking pigs and shit. The show alludes to the fact that she was jealous that the dad and Jeffrey were bonding over roadkill. Yeah, dissecting roadkill. Here's the thing, though. I haven't found a lot of proof that Lionel was actually into doing that. The dad. Yeah. Interesting. I think because that the show that, brings that up oh multiple times. Well, that you have to, you know, they can have some creative liberties in some of yeah. these shows. They I would like to read his book. 
Yeah, he wrote a book in the when Jeffrey was still alive, Lionel Dahmer. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what I, any parent of a serial killer like this. I don't know how much I would actually take anything they say with fact. You know, because it's hard fact. to really understand these people. Yeah. yeah, Jeffrey's case was different because he was alive long enough to offer some perspective. Yeah. but you have people like the mom of Dylan Klebold of Columbine fame. She's been going around squawking about her son for years. She does like a TED talk. She appears on like 2020, writes articles. And well, it's assumed her that, big that, thing is that her son was possibly suicidal. So that was the key. Look for signs of suicide because that could then turn to homicide. Does he, she blame herself in any way or is it just like... Yeah, what the fuck? You're like, I, it wasn't me. When parents fuck their kids up, the last person to take uh, responsibility for it is them. Of course, <laughs> yeah. Well, she's got a good thing going on the circuit now. So I don't want to mess with her quote, you know? Yeah, yeah. Her price quote, I mean. All right, so... <laughs> <laughs> Dahmer is drinking openly in school. Wow. He's drinking at home by himself. And to other students, he called beer his medicine. And then he. <laughs> That's what my old man used to call it, too. <laughs> Time for a cough syrup. Dad needs some more medicine. Just shut up. <laughs> and he was, he liked fucking with people. He went and snuck in on the honor society when they were taking their class photo, and he stood in the back, even though he's basically flunking. Before it was too late, the yearbook staff saw that he was in the honors photo, and they were like, this will not stand. So then when they printed the actual yearbook, they put a black circle over his face. (laughs) Oh, my God. That's so cold-blooded. And it's creepy when you see it. Did, yeah. I wonder if he ever took that out on them, like got like, you know, he killed them or something. No. No? Nope. But he, he just internalized all of this at this time. I don't think it mentally what was going on. I don't on. think it meant that much to him to be blacked out. He knew not. he shouldn't have been there anyway. Yeah, I feel like literally none of his kills were like revenge kills. The first one seemed like a crime of opportunity. You're getting into it now. But yeah, yeah I don't think he had a grudge against anyone he killed. No, no. It was mainly sexual. Let's go to clip four. And this is from a movie called My Friend Dahmer. And in that movie, they really make the case that he did kind of have a social thing going in high school. But in this clip, it shows how out of it Joyce was before she left. And you might recognize the actress playing Joyce Dahmer. Interesting. Ah, I do. Mom? Yeah. I have good news. Good. What is it? I have friends coming over. What are you doing? I, I thought Miss Anne Hache. Oh, these? That's right. Oh, look who's back. Guess who's back? Good enough for you to take. Is it down? Go back. Go, go back to the doctor. Go back to the doctor. I don't. Uh, oh God, no! I hate the doctor. The doctor always tells me what to do, just like you, just like you. Whoa, Jesus Christ! Oh. Is this a documentary? <laughs> I mean, that's a great casting choice. It is. It is. I like how we're just trying to, our big thing here is we're trying to make the case that Jeffrey Dahmer was popular. <laughs> well, that's what that movie was trying to tell you yeah, a little the, bit. The series alludes to it, too. It might be creative license because it's like, oh, it's showing you what could have been, the path yeah. that could have been taken. That's what this movie's trying to do. It's yeah. like Anakin Skywalker and the Phantom Menace. <laughs> it's like the uh, it's like the, the Hitler movie called uh, Max. when they. Mm. It was like him and John Cusack when he was a painter. And like, if this guy only gave him some nice things to say about his painting, if maybe he sold a painting, sold a painting, maybe, uh, you know, something wouldn't have happened in 1941. <laughs> Jeez. 
No, that's the hypothesis of this movie, basically, called Mac. Wait, there's a movie about a young Hitler that yes. doesn't get enough credit yes. for his paintings. And, John and so Cus- he's like, let's kill the Jews. Yeah, yes. Oh my At God. the end of it, that's the case they're making. He starts doing his speeches and he starts painting less because John Cusack plays a one-armed art dealer who blows <laughs> blows him off. I swear to God, this, this is the movie. Uh, Hitler, not, that sounds um, like a horrible dream. <laughs> Hitler, um, we're not going to be buying one of your paintings. Yeah. <laughs> Let's kill the Jews! <laughs> By the creators of Better Off Dead and uh, <laughs> One Crazy Summer. <laughs> Since Kaya was so excited, I will now get to the first victim. Yeah. Dahmer always had this fantasy. Did I mention he was gay yet? No, wait, okay. what? He's no, gay. I'm serious. I didn't know this oh, part. You didn't know he was gay? I think I heard he had fetishes. I'm not saying gayness is a fetish, but I'm saying I did not know he was gay. I'm saying it's a perversion. <laughs> <laughs> and it must be taken away. <laughs> and there are only two genders. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big Jordan Peterson fan. I have a Jordan Peterson t-shirt on right yeah, now. Yeah, we are actually announcing our Death and Entertainment Summer Pray the Gay Away Retreat yeah. uh, in the <laughs> Big Bear Mountain. All right now, yeah. <laughs> big Bear Mountain. That sounds yeah. kind of gay. <laughs> we're going to move. We're going to find another location uh, undisclosed <laughs> at, this, at this time. but uh, Otherwise we'll, known as West Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's getting gayer and gayer. <laughs> okay, so, yeah, he realized you know when reaching puberty that he was gay okay and you know how that went back in the day well i'm especially sure especially in the midwest Ohio, yeah reaching yeah. puberty he was reaching for guys cocks okay. hey uh, <laughs> is Dennis miller here or is that johnny carson <laughs> hey you son of johnny we're all right here <laughs> wants to go and bruise for some cock tonight reaching for cocks pep hey johnny <laughs> okay the so- agenda is strong johnny <laughs> Dahmer harbors this fantasy of an attractive male jogger, and he's going to attack him and then force him to have sex with him. So about three weeks after he graduated from high school in 1978, Dahmer sees an attractive male jogger. He's driving around. He stops. It's a guy named Stephen Hicks, like 20 years old. He tells Dahmer that he's looking to hitch a ride to a Pegasus concert. I've never heard of this band. It sounds like a band that opened for Russia or something. Or yeah. Electric Light Orchestra. There were other people on the bill that night, but he was there for Pegasus. Pegasus yeah, yeah. He's, he's walking out after Pegasus. He's leaves. a Peggy. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, he was that night, Getting I'm sure. Getting pegged. Hello. <laughs> okay. Not yet. Ah! <laughs> Give it a couple minutes. Oh! Oh! hole. That is my ace. In my ace. Oh! <laughs> Things to make you go, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Jeffrey, there are varying accounts of this, too. He offered the guy a ride, but says, hey, you want to have a beer first? Or he said, hey, you want to just party at my place? Mm. Either way, Stephen Hicks goes back to his house, which, remember, the parents are gone. They have some beers, smoke some weed. The Netflix show shows them lifting weights together. Oh, that's weird. Hey, yeah. want to hang out and lift some weights? And smoke weed while lifting weights. <laughs> it's weird. Yeah. A random guy you just pick up. You're lifting weights and smoking weed together. Hell yeah, talking brother. talking Pegasus. Let's talk some Pegasus, brother. It's not gay at all. Yeah. You want to get pegasus Hello. Okay. You see this dumbbell? Oh! <laughs> you know, he might have made a move on this guy, this hitchhiker. Who knows? Yeah. Either way, it ends with him attacking him with one of the weights. Ooh. He's dead. 
I'm sure he just bludgeoned him right in the head with a weight. Yes. And then I believe Dahmer had sex with the corpse. Okay. Puts it under the house at first, then decides I got to get rid of the body. He cuts Stephen Hicks up and he puts it in bags. Yeah. And then he's drunk driving, basically, and looking for a place to See, dispose this, of this the This is body. where I have trouble with, the drunk driving. No, and get this. <laughs> this is insane. The police pull him over okay. while he's drunk driving with a dead body in the back. and they, But in the trunk, so the cops can't see it. Well, in the show, it's in the back seat. Oh, in the back and seat. And they see it. He said he was taking um, uh, clippings from doing uh, lawn work or whatever, mm. that he was trying to dispose of it at a landfill. Wow. Well, he, maybe he does have some charm. He talks his way out of it. Oh, That's yeah. What, oh, and he does it a million times. This really? is just one of many. Yeah. And they let him go. They're like, don't let us see you again on the road or something like yeah, that. Yeah, they go turn around, go home right now. Rather than give him a DUI, they yeah. just like, just go home. What the fuck? Yeah, he's like, you're young. I don't want to fuck your life up. Turn around, go home right now, and don't let us catch he's you He's like, out. but I want you to fuck me. <laughs> So he went home. Eventually, he smashed the bones into powder and sprinkled ah, it in bones. the backyard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Favorite. yeah. So bye-bye Stephen Hicks, first victim. Lionel Dahmer came back into the picture a couple weeks later. Daddy, come home. He saw the state of mess that the house was in. Yeah. And he's like, where's mom? Where's your mom? Jeffrey's like, she left with David a while ago. So then he's like, all right, all right. By the way, meet my new wife, Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> I like how he's like, at first we're like, is he angry that the wife's not there? But by the way, my new girlfriend's here. Oh, he moved oh, out he's fast. furious that the mom's not there. The father's played by Richard Jenkins, and he's so good in the role. Yeah. Great. And he's like, I'm going to kill his, his mother for just leaving him like that. Meanwhile, he took off with some other broad. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the he, balls on this he guy. He claimed to not have known Jeffrey was by himself. Of course he knew. So. I don't know. He probably didn't, but he also took off. <laughs> like, what? So well, then, obviously, no one wants to be with Jeffrey at this house. No, <laughs> no one wants to be there. Lionel then says, "Okay, we're gonna clean your act up for you," and so he makes him enroll at Ohio State University. But of course, Jeffrey flunks out very fast. So then Lionel's like, "All right, we're gonna send you to the army." Jeffrey Dahmer was then in the army for a couple years. He was eventually stationed in Germany in 1979, where he served as a combat medic. According to some sources, this is where he started drugging guys. Oh, my God. Imagine if you're like a German citizen and you have to hear that, you know, the U.S. clearly has no restrictions for who they're going to allow in. Yeah. You know, r- rapists, murderers, who cares? Come on in. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> more <laughs> fucked up the better. Wow. Yeah, we'll send you to Germany. You're going to love it. Like, what the fuck? Well, Germans weren't probably that phased by him. Yeah, maybe. He probably fits right you in You think there. you can shock us? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen How the movie? funny. <laughs> Have you seen the movie Max with John Cusack, who is also <laughs> in High Fidelity? <laughs> it's my favorite. Do you know our history, dude? <laughs> We're some fucking sickos, man. <laughs> oh, you like bones? We like bones better than you, man. We got bigger bones here. I jerk off to Mangala. <laughs> I got a bone to pick with you, my friend. <laughs> we cover our bones in chocolate. <laughs> chocolate. I was born in the bones. <laughs> Kyle, do you remember the name of this drug? In his training, he came across this perfect drug. That he knocked people out with? Yeah, that you can knock people out with. Is that like the chloroform they put over the mouth? Basically, but in pill form. Triazolam. 
So he discovers it, I believe, while he's in the army. Halcyon and Triazolam were his two sedatives of choice. Because he's a medic, remember? Okay. So he's like, oh, this is great. They think he's actually, you know, doing it to help people. But really, he's like, oh, I got an operation here. Yeah. So apparently, he did it to a guy in the army, one of his comrades. Not a German, one of the U.S. Yeah. military. But that's not the reason he was eventually kicked out. He was just basically a drunkard. And wasn't a good soldier. Yeah. He was honorably discharged for alcoholism. <laughs> what? Honorably. That, that makes no sense. And if that's honorable, I'd hate to see what dishonorable is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> After that, they give him a ticket to go anywhere he wants in the U.S., I guess, to go back home. Here's a blank check ticket. And so Dahmer decides, hey, I'm going to go to Florida. He flies to Miami Beach and spends months there until he runs out of money. And then he contacts his dad in Ohio and says, I'm ready to come home. I can't afford to be here. Mm -hmm. So then he went and lived with Lionel and his new stepmom, Sherry Dahmer. She took the family name and he lived with them for a time. But then after being arrested for drunk and disorderly conduct, they sent him to live with his grandma in West Allis, Wisconsin. We're back to Wisconsin, baby. Oh, man. <laughs> and this I is... thought we were gone. <laughs> <laughs> we were safely in Ohio for <laughs> yeah, a minute. Yeah, yeah. Creepy Ohio. And now it's 1982. He gets a job at a blood plasma center in Milwaukee, and he works there for about 10 months before being laid off. Again, in the Netflix show, there's a scene where he steals blood from work, like in a bag, and then he drinks it in the bathroom. Oh, my God. Like it's a milkshake. Yeah. It's the adrenochrome. <laughs> like you're doing like the suicide soda at like a McDonald's or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I used to do that Papa Gino's. I used to steal a lot oh, of soda yeah. from there. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had oh, balls too, okay? And they never caught me. They never Jeez. caught me. And they never will. And then you went to Woodstock 99. Yeah. Uh -oh. Take that, Papa Gino. <laughs> Jeffrey was then arrested for indecent exposure at Wisconsin State Fair Park. After this, he was unemployed for two years. He was just jerking off in front of the clown dunk tank. <laughs> <laughs> so it says on your resume, you like to jerk off in front of uh, dunk tanks. Yeah, and the clown's like, you call that jerking off? <laughs> and okay, your, okay. Your last employer says you were stealing people's blood yeah. and drinking it? What's up with that? And it says you're really good at Excel here, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I didn't like the jerking off in front of the dunk tank, but, you know, you had me at the Excel. But our hands are tied. Our hands are tied. Literally, because you just tied us. What's up? <laughs> <laughs> By 1985, Dahmer's living with Granny because the dad's fed up with him. The mom who knows where the no hell one she wants is. anything to do with this kid. No, Dahmer gets a job as a mixer at the Ambrosia Chocolate Factory. Oh, I thought he was like a mixologist. <laughs> no, that's he's moonlighting as a mixologist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, his own elixir, his yeah. own personal shit. I guess Willy Wonka wasn't hiring. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Okay. Hello. Oompa, he said, oompa, oompa, I guess oompa, Willy Wonka da. wasn't hiring. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa. Oh. oh, you're unbelievable. <laughs> After a sexually charged encounter with a random man at the West Allis Public Library. So he's having like some normal consensual Gay sex also. Not yet. Okay, never mind. He's about to get into that. Okay. Know. 
Who knew the library was a hotbed of yeah. action? I, I used to. I know a girl who was. A, she did security at a Filene's in uh, around where I grew up, mm-hmm. and she said on the video camera, you'd be there was a, a downstairs bathroom where uh, a lot of guys would meet up. In this oh my men's god! Stuff. Start beating cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just when you're like in casual conversation, Kyle comes up with some crazy. <laughs> Disgusting metaphor for sex or something. They started reading each other's stories. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're really beating the cheeks if you're not a man. Beating cheeks. Beating cheeks. Getting fines, and it ain't for overdue books. Yeah. And, uh, it ain't Shoot. Ray Fines. Shooting on his back like a Kalishnikov, babe. <laughs> it's like Steven Seagal shooting kicks, babe. Mixed with Barishnikov. <laughs> so, he has this encounter with the man where they tease each other, and the man slips him a note saying, hey, you want to get something going over here? Dahmer doesn't really accept it at that moment. But he was so excited by it, he then threw himself into the gay scene, going into bars, bookstores, and bathhouses. At these bathhouses, he would drug guys. And this is very insane because it would be consensual. Like, he would meet guys out on the scene, and then they'd go to, like, the bathhouse together. They had, like, little hotel rooms or whatever you would call them, little booths or something. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the guys would go there with him, but then he would drug them anyway. And he did this, like, to 12 guys, and eventually the bathhouse management caught on. <laughs> and so the show, the Netflix show, dramatizes a moment where a guy is passed out after Dahmer leaves him, and the manager's like, oh, not again. Yeah, he's like, it's the third time this week. <laughs> and calls the cops. And so then Dahmer comes in the next night with another guy. Hey, Larry, the regular room, please. Yeah. And then the guy's like, no, get the fuck out of here, Dahmer. Fuck you. Yeah. You got to really act up to get on the shit list of uh, this place. Uh, like, yeah. Yeah. Bathhouse. Yeah. He's seen some shit. Yeah. Too. Yeah. He's got, you know, cum sprayed on him before. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's just 10 yeah. minutes in. <laughs> yeah. A gay drug den in the 80s is like, hey, listen, pal, it's a little too much for us over here. A <laughs> <laughs> guy, a whole Holding the shotgun just casually. Yeah. It's a little too much here, right? You know, wow. kind of like a Cosby thing, too. Yeah, except way worse. I'm talking about Cosby being way worse. Yeah, I, I, I think I would agree. <laughs> so after his membership was revoked, Dahmer moves on revoked. to hotel. They take his card. <laughs> <laughs> they rip it up in front of him. No. Your money's no good here anymore. <laughs> yeah. Blacklisted. His perversions are all coming to the surface now. He sees a good-looking 18-year-old guy in the obituary section. So he pulls a Ned Gein, and he goes to the cemetery to dig him up, but the soil was too hard, and he was Not as hard. hard as him. Hey! <laughs> we said the same thing. <laughs> his grinder is like an obituary of, like, 18-year-old boys. Yeah. <laughs> That's his grinder. Yeah, it's like Ed Gein, except Ed Gein was looking for women. Yeah. And this yeah. guy's looking for men. Jesus. Another thing he did was he stole a mannequin from a department store. He took it home and had his way with it. They had a little romantic fling. Is he like Andrew McCarthy and Mannequin in the movie? Yes, <laughs> except instead of Kim Cattrall, yeah. it's an actual mannequin, <laughs> and it's a male. And it's not coming alive. No. It does have nice biceps, though. Oh. <laughs> good, no head. Good abs. Got a great abs. And so he moves into Dahmer's bed, 
and they have a little bit of a sexual relationship every night. Everything was going good until Granny discovered it. Nana, no! (laughs) You got some explaining to do. He walks in, she's riding it. (laughs) (laughs) It's great the way they do it in the Netflix show. That's my mannequin. (laughs) Yeah, Granny's under the covers. They're both smoking, the mannequin's smoking too. Sorry, uh, you've been replaced. (laughs) This dynamic is fascinating with Dahmer and his grandma. She's this religious old lady. And he's this guy fucking a mannequin. Yeah. <laughs> there couldn't be more different worlds. Yeah. In the Netflix show, he's like, hey, grandma. Uh, <laughs> now he's from Brooklyn. Yeah. Don't go in the room today. You can just put the laundry by the door. <laughs> and then the grandma's like, okay. And then he leaves. And then she opens the door to go in the room, pulls the covers off. Yeah. It looks like there's a person underneath, obviously. Yeah. And it's the fucking mannequin. So then <laughs> it's she like throws- Ferris Bueller's day off. Yeah. So then when. <laughs> When he comes home later, she had thrown it away. Oh, and so he okay. freaks out. Yeah, that's when he really loses his cool for the first time in front of someone he knows. That Like, he couldn't just get another mannequin because your grandma no. threw away mannequin. He went What's through wrong, a lot Jeff? to steal that my one. My grandma threw away my mannequin. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> in September 1986, Dahmer was arrested for masturbating in public. <sighs> And it oh, happened good. to be near a couple of 12-year-old boys. Guy's a two-time champion at this point. It just point. happened to be. He was, <laughs> <laughs> he was sentenced. Unrelated. It's a coincidence. He was sentenced to one-year probation with instructions to undergo counseling. Yeah, mm. okay. That yeah. happened. See you there. <laughs> and that brings us to his second victim almost a decade after the first victim, 1987. Stephen Twomey. To me. Okay. Suck it to me, baby. (laughs) Samsonite. (laughs) He picked him up at the bar and they went to the Ambassador Hotel, which impressed his victim. (laughs) And Dahmer, they get fucked up. Dahmer woke up the next morning in the hotel room, lying next to a corpse. And he could not remember how he killed this guy. He blacked out and just killed the guy? Yeah, and just killed him, but could not remember. So he took the corpse to grandma's house, had sex with it in the basement, cut him up into small pieces, put them in garbage bags, and scattered them into different dumpsters. Well, in the show, he accidentally drugs himself with the thing he wanted to drug the guy with. So he was like all fucked up, and then he passes out, the guy passes out, and then they just cut to them waking up, and there's blood everywhere, and he had killed him. Yeah, so that's victim number two. Are you keeping score here? Yeah, we have a big chalkboard. We're just marking them off. (laughs) Victim number three, James Doxtater. They met at a gay bar, the usual. Dahmer drugs him and then kills him at grandma's house. In 1988, there was fourth victim, Richard Guerrero. He was offered $50 to stay with Dahmer for the night. Dahmer just ended up killing him, same manner as Doxtater. Yeah, so these are like borderline male prostitutes on some level. Like kind some, of male prostitutes. A couple of them were. 20 bucks, 50 bucks. exchange of money yeah. to deal with this weird guy. Some of it's consensual, though. Yeah. Again, we'll go back to the Netflix show because that is what's on everybody's mind these days. Sure. And it did dramatize all of this. There's a scene where one guy was just had car trouble and Dahmer says, hey, I'll help you out. I'll give you a ride to, you know, my place. We'll have a beer. We'll get the cables. Yeah, we'll get the cables. Yeah, I ain't talking about my dick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and 
the guy's really apprehensive, but goes anyway. Yeah, I would be too. Like, yeah, I, I don't want to kick back and have a beer with you. I just want my fucking car fixed, dude. Dahmer drugs him, except guess what? Granny intervenes. So there were at least some survivors is she throughout catching, the years. Is she catching on? See, this is the <laughs> question everybody asks. How could Grandma not know what was going on? Because he would keep some of the bodies in the basement, yeah. and the smell would start to get really bad, really foul, because it's rotting dead flesh. When she would notice the smell, she's like, what are you up to, Jeffrey? He would say, like, oh, I'm just doing some taxidermy in the basement. Yeah. But it would make sense because he's been doing that since he was a kid with his dad. So, like, why not believe that? Because he's And you don't want to see it either. Because he's a freak show. What do you want to believe? He's, like, dissecting He's masturbating in public, or Kyle. Or he's killing gay guys that he's having sex with in the basement. Like, Jesus. She doesn't want to see the he's blood. He's going to the library to suck dick. I, mean, I know. I mean, that's crazy. Well, maybe grandma was just like giving him the benefit of the doubt. She didn't. She even if there was something worse, she didn't want to know what it was. She knows he's exposed himself to twelve-year-olds at this point, so she's just turning. That's a blind true too. Eye. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. So to imagine how did this dynamic work? The show did a good job of portraying this. So grandma has caught him with his new friend who's been drugged uh -oh. in the middle of the night. Something is not right here. I'm calling your father. Hey. Nobody's calling anybody, okay? He had a little too much to drink. He's just going to sleep it off. Now go back to bed. What are you doing? I am giving this young man a blanket. And I am staying down here and watching him until he wakes up. You don't have to do that! And if this young man is sick, I am taking him to a hospital. Do you understand? Well, drinking is what you were doing, and God knows what else. It's fucking unreal! You watch your mouth, young man. You want to go up to your room, fine, but I am staying right here. And you can bet your sweet bippy your father's going to hear about this. Your sweet bippy. <laughs> I love the grandma There's and Dahmer's relationship. They're the new Aykroyd and <laughs> Lucy. <laughs> Legends. Per yeah. So a lot of his victims would be men of color. His first two were white, but as it progressed, it was Latino and black, Indian. Pacific Islander. Was there a reasoning for that? Was he like a racist also? That's what some people posit. They think that he chose those minority groups because they would be less missed. Wow. A white guy going after them. But, but he says that wasn't the case. He says it was solely based yeah. on who he was attracted to. I have a clip from the interview he did with Stone Phillips. Where did sex enter in? Did Their plot. Yeah. It was a big part of it. My, my only objective was to find the, the best looking uh, guy that I could. Their sexual preference didn't matter to me. Oh, that's uh, nice. Yeah, that's did nice. Did their race matter to you? No, their race didn't matter to me. The first, the first two young men were white. The set, the third young man was American Indian, the fourth and fifth were Hispanic, but it was just their looks. Was there something sexual in the dismemberment of the bodies for you? As time went on, uh, yes, I, I did get a, there was a sexual part. If part you mean that. if my cock was hard when I did it? <laughs> yes. It wasn't <laughs> soft, I'll tell you that now. <laughs> There's a lot going on there. He eventually got his own apartment on 24th Street in Milwaukee in 1989. 
and that's when how's he, he affording this apartment? What's he? The uh, chocolate factory. Oh, okay. And he meets a 13 year old Laotian boy a few days after moving in. He offered this kid fifty dollars to pose nude for him. So he drugs the kid, but strangely lets him go. Too young, maybe? I don't know. The kid went home, and the parents saw he was sick, so they took him to a hospital. And after he got better, they linked him to Dahmer. So then Jeffrey was arrested for second-degree assault of a minor. Wow. So maybe Jeffrey did give him the kid something, but it didn't kill him. No, it didn't kill him. No, he just drugged him. Oh, wow. But usually at that point, he would have killed him. So he let him go for some reason. On July 30th, 1989, Dahmer pleaded guilty to sexual exploitation of a child and second-degree sexual assault. While awaiting sentencing, he killed his fifth victim, Anthony Sears. No fear at all. He kept Anthony's genitalia and skull afterwards as macabre souvenirs. Dahmer was then sentenced to one-year work release program, and so the chocolate factory didn't ask any questions. They let him keep working there. It was uh, Gene Wilder in the back there. Was like, <laughs> give, give him a pass. I said, good day, sir. <laughs> <laughs> he would work during the day and then spent the night in jail. And after serving the term, he found a new place to live at the Oxford Apartments in Milwaukee, 924 North 25th Street, apartment 213. Things really ramped up from here. He's like uh, in the zone and he's watching The Exorcist 3 every single day. Every single day. Yeah. He's really relating to The Exorcist 3, which is about a serial killer. Wow. It's the worst one. Yeah, I know. <sighs> I didn't know they did uh, sequels to The At Exorcist. At least watch the first oh, yeah. one or something, yeah. you know? Because <laughs> that's like a an art piece, but I'm sure the sequels were just absurd ripoffs. Well, Body Parts wasn't out yet, so. <laughs> oh, yeah. Give it a couple of years. <laughs> There were 12 more men in 15 months. We're talking photos, necrophilia, dismemberment. A neighbor down the hall named Pamela Bass noticed an awful smell emanating from the apartment. In clip number seven, she recalls meeting Jeffrey for the first time. You know, me and my husband at that time were trying to get him a girlfriend because he thought that... You know, he was over there by himself, and he didn't get out much and all this here kind of stuff. So he had said, no, no, I'm fine. I just want to work and be left alone. You can't see nice. it, but she just gave a look like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice neighbors, though. They're actually, like, concerned about him and, like, trying to hook him up with uh, friends and stuff. Trying to get him some ace. <laughs> yeah. They were barking up the wrong tree, but (laughs) many ways. The wrong planet. (laughs) (laughs) These are the victims now. I'm just going to run through them. Go for it. Raymond Smith, May 1990. He was a sex worker who was lured to the apartment with the usual promise of 50 bucks. He was strangled to death and his skull was added to Dahmer's growing collection. Eddie Smith, June 1990. His remains were never found. And his sister later on received an ominous phone call telling her that searching for Eddie's body was futile. Was it Jeffrey? Of course. We don't know. Ernest Miller, September 1990, encountered Dahmer outside a bookstore. They had sex before he drugged him and slit his throat. His biceps were kept in the freezer and he painted his skull. He painted his skull? 
Yeah. That's crazy. Miller's grandma later recalled receiving a phone call where someone said, help, help, help. Jeez. David C. Thomas, September 1990, father of two, met Dahmer at the Grand Avenue Mall. Killed. Jeez. Curtis Strotter, February 1991, met Dahmer at a bus stop. Money was promised. Dahmer took photos of each step of his dismemberment. Errol Lindsay, April 1991. According to his brother, they might have met at a key shop. A key I, shop? I guess. It sounds better than a bathhouse. Yeah. <laughs> they Lin- just sell keys. <laughs> Lindsay was drugged and then had acid poured into his head. He woke up during the process and was then strangled. Jesus. His sister, by the way, is the one who famously screamed at Dahmer in court, saying, I hate you, Jeffrey Dahmer! Also, that family is speaking out now in the press, saying they do not approve of the Netflix documentary. I've heard of this. Wow. Yeah. That it's digging up, no pun intended, old wounds. Well, it's the, the problem with this one is it wasn't that long ago. Right. It was long ago, but not enough to like... In the scheme of things. Yeah. It's yeah. not like the Boston Strangler. Exactly. Yeah. Even Ed Gein, that's the 1950s. Yeah, that's, yeah. you know, long enough away to be done with it. Yeah. Tony Hughes, May 1991. Out of all the victims, his story is the most prominent in the Netflix series. He was deaf, and the series portrays him as quasi-dating Dahmer for a couple of days, and that they had a romantic relationship before Tony Hughes finally said, after seemingly spending the night with him, he said, oh, I got to get going. Well, Dahmer liked to dominate people, so when any of the guys wanted to leave, that was a no-no. So then Dahmer strangled him, and then he left him on the bed for three days before moving him. I feel like just going into Dahmer's apartment, that'd be a deal-breaker right there, because he's got like body parts all over. It smells like shit. And the smell. You're hungry, you're looking for a pizza in the freezer, you find someone's head? No, thank you. I'm out of there, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Deal breaker. And again, Tony Hughes' family is also speaking out now, saying, ah, they weren't really dating. Yeah, it was He, He was offered money to pose for a photograph. So they dispute the way he was portrayed well, in the I, series. Well, I also think Jeffrey Dahmer is um, taking advantage and exploiting the fact that it's a bad economy. We're in a recession. People need money, unfortunately, around this area. Yeah. And he's, like, exploiting that with these people. And now that brings us to Conorak Synthesanfone. Synthesanfone. Okay. In May 1991. May 27th, to be exact. He is the brother of the... 14-year-old that Dahmer was molesting and got in trouble for. Yeah. Dahmer's fantasy was to create a sex slave. So he would drill into people's skulls to the brain and then pour citric acid inside. Just enough to make them still alive, but not... He's like Dr. Frankenstein. He wants to create like a a a monster. A sex slave monster. A zombie. Yeah. Yeah. And so the first couple times didn't work at all. They just died. Yeah. (laughs) And this time it actually kind of works because he survives the initial drilling and the initial acid pour. Dahmer is like, okay, great. I got a sex slave. So he goes out to get some more beer. But then Conorak escapes (laughs) while he's gone. 
and goes into the street and two girls encounter him and they're like, what's going on? He looked young to them. So they're like, oh my God, we got to get you some help. So then they call the police and two officers show up. Their names are John Balserac and Joe Gabrish. They respond to this call and Dahmer comes back out and convinces the police officers that this is his boyfriend and that his boyfriend is of legal age and that they're having a lover's spat. And this guy's like walking around like Frankenstein. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what the and, f- so, and he's naked. Oh, my God. So they go with Jeffrey back to his apartment with the kid. In the apartment, they see Polaroids that Jeffrey took of the kid. Jeffrey's like, yeah, this is my boyfriend. We're gay. Oh my you know, God. like this is our lifestyle. So don't judge us. And yeah. Conorak sits down like he owns the place because he's so out of it. The cops leave. Oh, my God. And in the series, they portray it like the cops say, like, all right, we don't have a problem with what you guys are up to, but we got to go take a shower, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And yeah. then they leave the apartment. Yeah. And I have a clip from the conversations with the killer doc. Okay. And this is a woman named Glenda Cleveland, and she's the mother of one of the girls that called the cops. Yes, uh, uh, there was a squad car, number 68, that was flagged down earlier this evening, about 15 minutes ago. That was me. What happened? I mean, my daughter and my niece uh, witnessed what was going on. Was anything done about the situation? No. Nope. It was the intoxicated uh, boyfriend of another boyfriend. Well, how old was this child? It wasn't a child. It was an adult. Are you sure? Bullshit. Ma'am, I can't make it any more clear. It's all taken care of. The police officers have been told to be respectful of the gay community in Milwaukee. And I think they probably were thinking they were being respectful and not bringing a heterosexual bias to the situation. Whatever the police did wasn't enough. The liberal agenda wins again. <laughs> the cops were eventually fired. In the Netflix series, Glenda Cleveland and Pamela Bass are joined into one composite character, played by Niecy Nash. Oh, okay. Because in the show, it looks like this is Superwoman doing all the Lord's work. Yeah, she's really taking control of everything and so leading she, the rally against him. She's like a composite of all the victims, like uh, sisters or, or loved ones and stuff? Well, it's specifically these two ladies. Yeah, Pamela the neighbor. And Glenda. The neighbor, yeah. which was Pamela, who smelled the smells and complained about them. And then Glenda that Cleveland, woman. who kept following up with the police. Who about, just called. Yeah, yeah, why didn't you do anything about, you know? Well, good on them. Yeah, most people just don't care. If it doesn't affect them, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Either. Matt Turner... June 1991, met Dahmer at a bus stop after the Chicago Pride Parade. He had run away from home a year earlier. He ended up going to Milwaukee with Dahmer after agreeing to pose for photos. He was strangled and dismembered. His torso was placed in a 57-gallon drum of acid. Yikes. Oliver Lacey, July 15th, 1991. Now I'm saying the dates because we're getting to the end here. Mm -hmm. Oliver was engaged and had a two-year-old son. He was promised to be paid to pose for photos. Eventually, he was drugged and strangled. Then Dahmer had sex with his corpse and kept his heart in the freezer to eat later. Yikes. Then we have Joseph Braidhoff, July 19th, 1991. This is the final victim. Dahmer had just received notice that he had been fired from the chocolate factory. 
Good Father. day, sir. <laughs> you get nothing. <laughs> Father of Leave three. the never-ending gobstopper on the table and get the fuck out of here. He was last seen alive on his way to a job interview on July 16th. They engaged in oral sex. There was the usual pattern of being drugged, strangled, and disposed of. Braidhoft had been left on the bed for two days, covered by a sheet. His head was covered in maggots when Dahmer finally decapitated him and disposed of the body. Wow. That brings us to July 22nd, 1991. The day Kyle saw 101 Dalmatians yeah, a in day, the theater. A day that'll live in infamy. And Auntie uh, tripped. J- Carol. Auntie Carol tripped in front of everyone. Yeah. Poor woman. And got laughed at. Uh, it was awesome. <laughs> Dahmer <laughs> offered three men 100 bucks to pose for him. 32-year-old Tracy Edwards took him up on it. Dahmer attempted to handcuff him. Only got one of his hands in the cuffs. They start watching The Exorcist 3 in his bedroom. This is his... Just on repeat in there. Yeah, M.O. at this point. Edwards noticed the large 57-gallon drum in the corner, which had a rancid odor emanating from it. They end up moving into the living room, and he kind of says, like, Oh, Jeffrey, I like your fish, because I forgot to mention Jeffrey has a fish tank as well. Suddenly, Jeffrey was in a daze, and Edwards seized the moment, punched Dahmer, and ran out the door. I guess he had to mess with the locks at first and pick the right way to unlock it and then just ran into the street. He's half naked. He's got the handcuff on one of his hands. And this is around 1130 p.m. He flagged down two police officers, Robert Routh and Rolf Miller. Do these cops have any normal names in this town? No. Is anyone? (laughs) And then they went to Dahmer's apartment to retrieve the handcuff keys. And boy, are they in for a time because one of them notices a knife under Dahmer's bed. And then Officer Miller sees a drawer sticking out. It's half open from the dresser. He sees a bunch of Polaroids, over 70. He picks some of them up and he's like, okay, these are just sex photos. Mm -hmm. But then he keeps looking through them and it's photos of Jeffrey Dahmer dismembering people. They can't look away anymore. No. So then they uh, arrest Dahmer. He fights them a little bit at first, and they call for backup. Reportedly, Dahmer told them, for what I did, I should be dead. He told me to lay down face down with both of my hands behind my back. Tracy Edwards in court, the guy that survived. I kind of like laid on my sides for some reason. I guess God told me not to lay flat down or let this person handcuff me, so I didn't. He kind of laid across me, put his head across my chest at that point, like he was listening to my heart, because at a point he told me he was going to eat my heart at that point. So thank God for this guy that he yeah. escaped. The one that got an, away. An end to this madness. <laughs> yeah. Well, some people get sloppy on purpose because they know they want to get caught. Yeah, I think he was getting to that point. Could be. You just get tired of the racket. In this apartment, they find body parts hidden everywhere, a skull in the fridge, bones in the closet a decaying penis in a pot, okay. a large barrel of other body parts. The freezer is packed with kidneys, hearts, livers, spleens, portions of arm muscles, and an entire torso. Elsewhere in the apartment, they find two entire skeletons, among other horrors such as mummified scalps and more severed penises. We all got some skeletons in our closet. <laughs> this sounds like a very disgusting, like the 12 days of Christmas. Oh, that's not <laughs> there, Christmas. But Trula gave to me eight rotting penises, four yeah. torsos, two femur bones. <laughs> <laughs> 
one of the victims I left out from July 5th, 1991. I left off the list because I was going to go into more detail, but I'm going to do this on a separate mini-sode. Okay. But his name is Jeremiah Weinberger. I don't know how to say this quickly, but let me just put it this way. I used to do some graphic design work, and I did some freelance for this guy named Steven Tushin in Chicago. He employed Jeremy Weinberger in 1991 and supposedly met Jeffrey Dahmer at the bar. Ooh, what? Yeah. There was this place called Carol's Speakeasy, a gay bar. And it was across the street from this gay movie theater called The Bijou. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this is all down the street from the second city. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Jeremiah met Dahmer at Carol's Speakeasy that night. And his friend Teddy said, when Jeremiah asked him, hey, this guy wants me to go to Milwaukee with him. Should I go? Teddy said, yeah, go for it. Have some fun. Oh, fuck. Get laid. Why not? And he never forgave himself Ugh. and eventually died from alcoholism in 1994. Oh, but well, yeah, Jeremiah did go to Milwaukee with Dahmer that night yeah. and was never seen again. Um, his head was in the refrigerator. Oh, and Steven, the guy that I know, one of his buddies told Steven that, yeah, you came in around 1130 to say hi and stayed for a couple minutes. You said hi to Jeremiah and that you met Jeffrey Dahmer. Oof. But Steven says, I must admit, I don't remember that, but that's the story. So that's my connection to it. Wow. Jeremiah, the victim. Alejandro goes, is, uh, you know, hands all over these uh, yeah. mass murders. Carol Speakeasy <laughs> closed a few months after the horror. It didn't survive the story of that being one of the places Jeffrey Dahmer preyed on a victim. That's not a good calling card. That's not no. good on the Yelp. Yes, yeah, so it the, didn't survive my aunt Carol falling down. Okay, it didn't. <laughs> Surprise! That's a real did. reason. <laughs> and this guy Stephen Tushin, he wrote a book because he has a very interesting story. I won't even get into it, but let's just say it has to do with the adult film industry. Let's put it that way. Okay, we'll save it for the follow up. Yeah, yeah. They, we have a lot to say for the follow up. Yeah, yeah. some sucking about fucking. Jeffrey Dahmer. He wrote, "He's too nuts to be insane." Too insane to be insane and too insane to be nuts. But Suck it didn't on that. stop him for sucking on nuts. <laughs> <laughs> These nuts. These nuts, right. Yeah. During the trial, do you remember Park Dietz from the Rebecca Schaefer trial? It's the guy that testified for her killer when he played the U2 song and everything. Oh, yeah, yeah. Park Dietz. Park Dietz. So Park Dietz testified in the Dahmer trial that Jeffrey was sane. And that he did know right from wrong. Jeffrey pleaded guilty by reason of insanity. The trial took three weeks. There were 28 witnesses. The prosecution stated that since he killed blacks, Asians, and only a couple of white dudes, he broke the pattern of saying within his own ethnic group. Pioneer. Well, yes. And after he's a woke mass murder. Exactly. He's diverse. He's, yeah. He's like Lockheed Martin. They have the pride flag. They have the pride flag on the Instagram. And uh, yeah, but they're, you know, mass murderers. Remember, bombs. there are the people that say he did that because it was an underserved community where he could get away with it better. Yeah. That so seems more logical. Let's keep that in yeah. mind. After only five hours of deliberation, the jury found Dahmer sane and guilty. Good. And if he's sane, I don't know who's insane, but that's okay. Yeah. At least he's punished. His statement before sentencing on February 17th, 1992 was, quote, I feel so bad for what I did to those poor families, and I understand their rightful hate. 
I should have stayed with God. I tried and failed and created a holocaust. If I could give my life right now to bring their loved ones back, I would do it. I am so very sorry. End quote. <sighs> There's no death penalty in Wisconsin, only life without parole. Dahmer wouldn't have been eligible for parole until 2933 at the ripe old age of 941. Oh, they're going to have to do Dahmer Lishman. <laughs> Dahmer Lishman! I couldn't get it out. <laughs> we got it out we for you. It, Hello. Yeah. I, I'm picking up what you're throwing down there. <laughs> Demolition man. Judge Lawrence Graham allowed the victims' families to speak, and as I mentioned before, it was very emotional. One of them literally screaming at Dahmer, mm -hmm. and Dahmer acknowledging that he, yes, he very much deserved that. Um, he was a model prisoner. <laughs> he even became baptized, I believe, on the same day that Gacy was executed. Yeah, I think so. He became baptized, found God on July third, nineteen ninety four. An inmate tried to slit Dahmer's throat, but Dahmer was unfazed. Eventually, he requested that he be allowed to roam around the communal areas and eat with the other inmates, that kind of deal. And eventually, he was even put on janitorial work detail, which would be his undoing. On the morning of November 28th, 1994, Jeffrey was paired with a guy named Jesse Anderson a white guy who killed his wife and blamed it on a black man. Oh. And then another guy named Christopher Scarver, a black schizophrenic man who believed that he was the son of God. He was in prison for armed robbery and first-degree murder. So this is like a three-man uh, cell. They're cleaning the bathroom next to the gym together. What could go wrong? Okay. Mm -hmm. Only two things. Yeah. <laughs> the security guard conveniently left them alone for 20 minutes. I'm going to go uh, take a shit. When he came back, Dahmer was found laying in a pool of his own blood, his face smashed in by a broom. Was it a broom handle? No, the dude Anderson was killed by a broom, and um, he was killed by getting hit in the face with a weight like he did to his first victim. That's so it was right. Like poetic justice. Oh, wow. He's yeah. got the 10-pound the weight right in his own yep. skull. Yeah, that is poetic justice. They were cleaning up the gym. How you like me now? Scarver was like, Stephen Hicks says hello. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Put your weights back. Okay, so Anderson got the broom and Dahmer got the dumbbell. Yeah. yeah. That's where Jeffrey Dahmer's story ends. It's notorious. Also in Wisconsin, just like Ed Gein, just like the Halloween killer. Some yeah. real sick puppies up there. Yeah. You know, what can I say? If you actually, I don't know if anybody listening to this podcast follows or has heard of Joe Pera. But if you look up Joe Pera and then watch the Dahmer uh, series with Evan Peters, you will not be able to unhear the fact that it's Joe Pera's voice that he's using throughout the entire talks thing. talks like this. <laughs> <laughs> hey, guys, uh, I'm Joe, and uh, I'm here to tell you um, uh, I'm Joe. <laughs> Is this like when you sync up Dark Side of the Moon to the Wizard of Oz? Yes, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. The Netflix series, well worth watching. Yeah. We stand corrected a little bit. Or not corrected, but in the Glee episode, we were kind of roasting Ryan Murphy, saying, like, what are they paying him all that money to develop shows nobody wants to watch? Finally, boy, did he change that pattern. Well, he did, and he also... The Watcher. With The Watcher yeah, also. Yeah, two it. huge shows right now. You know, one of the most watched in Netflix history, so gotta hand it to you, Ryan Murphy. Yeah. Yeah, hit the zeitgeist here. You did it. 
He finally. Um, so yeah, any questions? Any final <laughs> thoughts? <laughs> I have no questions, but uh, my final thought is: I didn't know the the nitty grit of this entire Jeffrey Dahmer case. I am very disgusted by it. It's disgusting. Yeah, even Ed Gein is going like, dude. But I'm wondering, like, you're kind of weird. Did he put eggs in the fridge too, with all the like the you know the the human spleens and shit with the hearts? He would eat some of the skin with steak sauce. Ooh. And a- one of the, one, it gets yeah, to here. A- it gets to here. And they'd go to Outback. <laughs> yeah. The only normal food they found in his apartment were potato chips. Oh God. <laughs> so he just so so every meal was just human beings. Once you <laughs> pop, you can't stop. Yeah. <laughs> what kind I wanna know what kind Pringles. of potato chips yeah. Pringles. Yeah. <laughs> Putting his cock in a Pringles can. Oh yeah. boy! Yeah, he did the old popcorn trick yeah. with the Pringles can. They're like, "We know what you're doing, Jeffrey." Yeah. Final thoughts on it for me is uh, he did actually took advantage of the stigma against gay people because oh god, no, he did because he got the the cops to go away when he was in the middle of murdering this 13 year old kid. Yeah, they're like, "Oh, this is just a lover spat. Let's get the fuck out of here." And also, when cops would ever ask him about anything, like, oh, what's going on in this apartment? He'd be like, uh, oh, it's just some gay stuff. And I know. Like, oh, yeah. we got to get the fuck out of here. The cops even walked in and they're like, we're not going to catch anything if we come in here, right? Because AIDS wasn't even like, oh, okay. they didn't figure out what caused it. So exactly. they didn't know if it was airborne. Mm-hmm. So he got away with a lot because of the ignorance about gay people. Sadly, it was the perfect storm with minorities and then also with. And he uses sexual I'm preference. Sure, his white privilege, if you will, like getting off like for a DUI or something. Yeah. He's got a oh. body. He's got like a visible body in the car. The judge in that molestation case where it allowed him to work at the chocolate factory. Yeah. The entire and then time. Go, go to prison. That right? was because he's like, we don't want to ruin your life, Jeffrey. Oh, my God. You're a good guy. So, you know, yeah. we're going to allow you to work and better your life from here on out. Yeah. yeah. And then you mentioned Lionel's book, the dad's book that was received bad. But the dad claimed, yeah, bombed. He, he just wanted to like, <laughs> he wanted to people to understand, you know, the Jeffrey's psychosis, so that they could stop it from happening again. It was a little bit of a money thing, but yeah, it wasn't received very well. He's still alive. I wonder if he ever used the uh, George Foreman grill to cook a heart or something oh for himself. God. It was okay. Out. <laughs> <laughs> that came out a few years after, I think. <laughs> He just puts a hand right right in the George Foreman grill. Doesn't even prepare it all. What a fucking mess. Oh, my God. And Joyce, by the way, died in the year 2000 of breast cancer. In the year 2000. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And Kyle, do you want to close us out with some gainers? We got or, some gainers. as they're called nowadays, dummies. Ooh, dummies. Ooh, we got a dummy. All right. Give me a dummy, mommy. What does Jeffrey Dahmer <laughs> eat for breakfast? What? Boys and berries. Okay. Oh, okay. Boys and or berries. Yes. You get it? Boys and berry? All right. Yeah, yeah, fox. What's Jeffrey Dahmer's favorite drink? Um, Goulade. Ooh. Uh, Gatorade? A cup of Joe. <laughs> <laughs> A cup of Joe Father. <laughs> Joe Mama. No, no. Joe Father. <laughs> Joe Father. <Okay>. Joe Brother. <laughs> <laughs> what would you call a movie starring Jake Paul and a psychopath? What? <laughs> Dumb and Dama. <laughs> is that is that a real shot at Jake Paul? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is. What did Jeffrey Dahmer call the guy that ran from him? What? Fast food. Nice. <laughs> Conorak. <laughs> yeah. No, I that was <laughs> 
Jeffrey Dahmer's mother was over for a visit to have dinner. Mother, you know, Jeffrey, I really don't like your friends. Dahmer, well, let's just eat the vegetables then. Oh! You mean, well, let's just eat the vegetables then. Come on, mom. Try the veal. Try, <laughs> try the heart. The veal? You disgust me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't eat calves. <laughs> unless they're uh, 12 years old and uh, they got shorts on. All right, Dennos. <laughs> oh, boy. I uh, I didn't even want to hear that punchline. Well, Hello. Yellow. All right, uh, Dennos. Happy Halloween. Happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> Be safe when you're trick-or-treating. Yes. Yeah. Thank you for 2,000 subscribers on YouTube. Yes. yes. Find us on Instagram. Slovakia, you know what's going on. We're what in the up? top 51 true crime podcasts. That's what's up. Yeah, we're taking over Italy, yeah. one American death at a time. Yeah, we're moving down <laughs> Italy. We're going to start moving west after that. We're taking over the European nations, one American death at a time. Yes. Yeah. All right, until next time, guys, as always, don't go dying on us. And as Dracula would say, thank you very much for listening. <laughs> what? <laughs> and that's the last thing we needed to be said here. Remember... Don't forget to... <laughs> okay, I got nothing. He's just grasping his straws for no reason. All right, thank you, guys. Bye. <laughs> you have just heard... A true Hollywood murder mystery. I have never seen anything like this before. The movies, Broadway, music, television, all of it. A place that manufactures nightmares. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Good night. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon.